to Charlotte Chapel. My name is Paul Reese, and I'm the senior pastor here and uh, it's a great joy uh, to have this opportunity to speak to you uh, this morning. Well, you know it's Christmas, don't you? Because they're playing those songs when you walk around the shops. The same songs you hear every single year around this time of the year. Now, I want to give us a quick musical quiz just to test out this hypothesis, how much you've been inflicted with these particular songs. So I'm going to... I may regret this, but I'm going to sing the opening words and see if you can guess the remaining line. So I, I'm going to, see, going to test my hypothesis. I'm just going to give you three words and see if you can complete the line. Here we go. First three words. It's the most wonderful time. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, good, good. All right, now let's see if you can do it with two words. Ready? Two words. Two words. Simply having Oh, it's feeling very Christmassy, isn't it? Can you see your credit card just getting bigger and bigger, right? Okay, let's try it with one word, one word, a contracted word. Here we go, ready? I'm Look at that. All right, one last one, one last one. Honestly, we're nearly done now. You'll be glad to know. It's Christmas time. It was me, wasn't it? Yeah, it's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. There's no need to be afraid. I don't know whether you've ever, kind of, as you walk around doing your shopping, thought about that song, but there's a line in it that always kind of grabs me, it kind of haunts me. And it's this line There's a world outside your window, and it's a world of dread and fear where the only water flowing is the bitter sting of tears. Well, that's quite a thing to be singing as you're walking around, doing your shopping, isn't it? We do live in a messed up world, don't we? Uh, There is a world outside our window, and it is full of dread and fear. And that was brought home to me one snowy day uh, in December, about six years ago, when I met Mary and Joseph. Uh, This is a true story. Uh, It was their real names. It happened in America where I was pastor of a church. But uh, they showed up in church about sort of the week before Christmas. Mary and Joseph turned up. She was great with child. No, this is a true story. Honestly, it's a true story. She was great with child. But they were not a happy couple. Joseph had cheated on her. And they were on the edge of a divorce. And so they, kind of one last ditch attempt, they thought they'd go, go to a church and see if they could find some pastors that would give them some counseling to help them with this situation. And my associate, uh, Kerry, and the women's worker met with them that week. And when they came in for counseling, there was a lot of hurts. There was a lot of embarrassment. There was a lot of disappointment. And there was a lot of fear. Fear, was, was there any hope for this marriage? There is a world outside our windows, and it's a world of dread and fear. And maybe for some people here today, it's actually not outside your window. Maybe you are full of dread and fear this Christmas. Maybe it's financial worries, or maybe it's health worries, or perhaps it's, it's relationship worries. And you've got that this Christmas. 
Well, what I want to say to you today is that it is Christmas time and there is no need to be afraid. But the answer is not really found in the band aid song. The answer is found in our Bible readings today. And it's, it's one verse that was quoted in both the Old Testament and the New Testament re- uh, uh, reading. This is the reason why we don't need to be afraid this Christmas. Let me read it to you again. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what I want to say to you today is that if we can really understand this, if we believe that this baby that was born uh, to Mary 2,000 years ago is Emmanuel, God with us, then there is no reason to be afraid this Christmas. Whatever your fears are today, if you believe this message, you don't need to be afraid. See, when we believe that uh, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, that God who made everything has come in human flesh uh, that first Christmas night, then that just changes absolutely everything about life. It means that God is with us in our suffering because he suffered for us in his death upon the cross. It means that God is with us in our daily struggles because he rose from the dead. And he gave the gift of his Holy Spirit so that he himself uh, comes and lives inside of those who trust him. And he'll give us power to live changed lives. He's God with us forever because he gives us eternal life. That is why this message of Christmas is such a glorious message. Why these songs are so full of joy. And really I want to kind of illustrate my point today uh, by looking at these two Bible readings. Because there are two men that we've looked at, Ahaz and Joseph. They're both described as sons of David. They're both descendants of great King David of Israel. And they both had reasons to be afraid. And I want us to consider these two people, Ahaz and Joseph. So open your Bibles up again to Isaiah chapter 7. And you'll find that on page 691. Page 691. So for Ahaz, uh, what was the news that was making him afraid? Well, it was this. There were people plotting to replace him as king of Judah. The kings of two different countries were marching with armies towards his, his country of Judah and their plan was to depose him. Their plan was regime change. They had their own puppet king that they wanted to bring in. These kings were worried about the rising superpower in their day, which was in the 8th century BC. And the rising superpower was Assyria. And they thought, we need to expand the coalition of nations to protect ourselves against the threat of Assyria. And uh, the king of Judah, Ahaz, was not playing ball. So they said, okay, we're going to depose you. We're going to take you down. And then we're going to form this alliance of nations to protect ourselves. And uh, look at verse 2. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, these two other nations, So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. I hope your house is reasonably secure after the winds this past week. 
There was great excitement, wasn't there? Winds of 160 miles an hour on the top of the Cairngorms, apparently. And uh, we saw images of trees bending in the wind. Well, that's how the hearts of the king and the people were feeling at the news of this political threat. They were just bending in the wind, very shaken by this news. Have you ever been in the middle of a crisis and wished that God would tell you exactly what to do? I'm sure there's many a prime minister or a politician or a uh, president of a country that's long for that. Well, that's exactly what God does for King Ahaz. He sends Isaiah, his spokesman, with a message to tell the king what he should do. Look at verse 4. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Look at verse 7. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. Ahaz, don't do anything. Don't do anything, says God. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. This is not going to happen. In fact, in your lifetime, you will see these two kings and their nations so broken that they'll not be a threat to anyone. So don't sweat. Do nothing. All Ahaz has to do is what? He just has to believe God. That's all he has to do. He has to believe God. There's no point in him trying to save himself. He just simply must trust God's word. Have a look at the, uh, the last part of verse 9. It's almost like a motto verse for this book. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. That really is a spiritual principle for our lives, I think. The only way to stand firm in life is by believing God and believing his words. And if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now it sounds like Ahaz was very afraid. And so he's weighing up his options. And so God sends Isaiah again with another message. Look at uh, uh, verse 10. Cross the page. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Now, how many people have longed for this? I've had many people say to me, well, I'd become a Christian if God would do a miracle for me right now. If God would do some sign in front of me, then I would become a Christian. And do you know what? That's exactly what God offers to do for King Ahaz. God is so keen for Ahaz to believe his word that he says, just ask for a sign, whatever you want. And how does Ahaz respond? Verse 12. Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. It sounds kind of pious and noble, isn't it? But actually, what's going on here? Why doesn't he ask? It's because he's already made his mind up. He does not want to believe. He doesn't want any complicating uh, God to come into his story. He's made up his mind. He's got a plan to put his trust, instead of into God, to put his trust elsewhere. Uh, if you look to the uh, Old Testament book of two kings, you don't have to look it up right now, but it gives you some other history at this time. And in two kings, chapter 16, it says this. This is what Ahaz actually did. Ahaz sent messages to the king of Assyria. The king who rejoiced in the name of Tiglath-Pileser, if you want to know. Send this message to the king. I am your servant, says Ahaz. I am your vassal. 
Come up and save me out of the hand of the king, the kings who are attacking me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace, and he sent it as a gift to the king of Assyria. See what he does? He buys his way out of trouble. So he thinks. He's afraid. He's got a message from God. Uh, he doesn't need to be afraid. Do nothing but trust God. But Ahaz does not believe God. Instead, he entrusts himself and his whole nation to the king of Assyria. He decides he's going to buy his way out. He's going he's to rely on man-made security. And I want to say to you that that experience there really is the choice that we all face in our lives. What are we ultimately going to believe? Are we going to believe in God and trust his word? Or are we going to rely on our own human clever strategies, our own human securities? That's the choice. Well, did Ahaz make a good choice? Well, history tells us no. He made a very costly choice. Well, yes, you know, the kings that were threatening him, they were neutralized and their nations were uh, judged and, and trashed by Assyria. But you know what? The very people that Ahaz trusted could not be trusted. They liked the look of Ahaz's money. They liked the fact that he had all this treasure and they thought, I reckon he's got some more of that. And so they turned their attention, after uh, dealing with these other nations, they turned their attentions and decided that they were going to invade Judah and take it for themselves. And they eventually did come in to devastate it. And that's what's referred to by Isaiah the prophet as he warns them. If you look at chapter 8 and verse 7. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river, the king of Assyria, with all his pomp. It will overflow, overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it and passing through it, reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Going to trust Assyria, Ahaz, instead of God? You want, you want Assyria? You're going to get Assyria right up to your neck. That's what Isaiah wants. Ahaz did not want a sign from God to complicate his unbelief. He rejected it. And what did he reject it? Well, Isaiah tells him anyway, he's rejected the sign of Emmanuel, God with us. Look back at chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. When he rejected God, he rejected the only one who had the power to save him. The only one who could be a stronghold. But when God is with you, you don't need to be afraid. When you fear and trust in God, you don't need to fear anything else. That's what the Bible says. But Ahaz refused to believe God, and so he will not enjoy God's protection. And what we depend on, apart from God, will always let us down and can even end up destroying us. 
That's what happened to Ahaz. He thought he could depend on Assyria. Assyria ended up devastating and destroying his land. And we see that in, in, in our modern day too, don't we? It was uh, this last year that we lost Amy Winehouse. And what a tragic story. Talented uh, singer. And um, her last album, uh, they pulled together some final tracks. It just recently came out with lots of poignant lyrics in the light of her death. And when she died, the, peop- the fans came inside, outside of a, a house and they sort of built a little shrine. They had cards and little mementos and things that they, that they thought of, of, of when they thought of her. And people were bringing half-empty bottles of vodka and whiskey and laying them at this shrine. This is the tragedy for Amy Winehouse. She was so troubled in her life. She struggled with the fame. She struggled uh, with the money. She struggled with a very dysfunctional marriage. And the way she depended and coped was by leaning on alcohol, by leaning on drugs. That's how she got through. But the very thing that she leaned on was the thing that ended up killing her. Well, that's Ahaz the son of David. For him, the sign of Emmanuel is really just a, a stumbling stone. The baby born to a virgin. He doesn't want it. He refuses to believe God's word, which ends up putting him in a worse situation. His worst fears come upon him. So let's turn now to the other son of David, to Joseph. So turn to Matthew chapter 1, page 965. Joseph was also a man who had reasons to be afraid, didn't he? He got engaged to Mary. And before they'd enjoyed any physical intimacy, he finds out that she's pregnant. Now that, that's shocking news, isn't it? That would be shocking news today. And it would be even more shocking in the first century in Israel. I mean, this, this young woman, she's probably around the age of 16 that he thought was a virgin, tells him that she's pregnant. And he must have concluded that she cheated on him. This is just humiliating, isn't it? This is heartbreaking stuff. And then what would everybody else say in Nazareth? They'd all be aware of the growing bump and the timing of the wedding. The disgrace, the shame, the snide comments. And in that culture, of course, a woman who uh, slept around could be stoned for doing that sort of thing. What was he going to do? He was afraid. There was no way he was going to marry her. There's no way he was going to take responsibility for somebody else's kid. And so, because he's a decent guy, he loves Mary. Uh, he's not going to marry her, but he doesn't want her to die. He, he says, I'll just divorce her. Because in that culture, the engagement, the only way it could be broken was actually through a divorce. They took engagement that seriously. That was his plan. That's what he was going to do until he heard from a clear message from God. So look at page 966 and verse 20, top left-hand page. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now that's a pretty big thing for Joseph to take on board. 
Don't be afraid, Joseph. Mary's not cheated on you. Uh, the child that she carries comes from the greatest miracle that the world has ever seen. God's Holy Spirit has brought about a holy embryo in her womb. The Almighty God has accommodated himself, condensed himself to be, uh, take on human flesh and become a fetus growing inside your fiancé, Mary. We saw little Elise and uh, Will up here. And even see a kid that age thinking, God contracted down to the size of a, of a child? This is just a huge thing to take on board. That's the message to Joseph. Don't be afraid. Take Mary to be your wife. And when you have a son, call him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. What an amazing name. Don't be afraid of what people think about you. Don't be afraid of uh, the snide comments you're going to get as you take her in. You are going to be the adopted father of the man who is God. Now that is a big job. But that's God's word that he's called to believe. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet nearly 700 years before. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What's Joseph going to do? Joseph chose to believe God's word instead of following through with his plan of divorce. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Do you see the way that he shows that he believes God? He believes God's words. He cared for Mary. He takes her as his wife. He didn't know any intimacy with her until she had given birth to Emmanuel. And he accepts Emmanuel into his life, into his home. And he gives him the, the, the very name he's told to give him, the name that is full of hope, Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. See, Emmanuel is not a stumbling stone for Joseph. He's actually a refuge, a stronghold that he's going to build his life around. Now, if you're new to Christianity and you're here today, I know that what I've said today might well puzzle you. And you're thinking, well, how on earth can, can serious people believe this today? How can you believe this? That this Jesus born to Mary is both God and man in this scientific age? How absurd. Do you really believe that? John Lennox is uh, the um, Oxford professor of mathematics. Uh, well, he's a professor of mathematics at Oxford University. He's also an expert that lectures in the history of science. And he was presenting a talk to a, a lecture room of physicists about Christianity. And after the lecture, one of the scientists came up to him and said, well, you seem to be a rational man, uh, Professor Lennox. He said, but how on earth can you believe this nonsense that Jesus is both God and man? How could you accept that? How absurd. And John replied, well, very interesting. I wouldn't do John Lennox's full accent for you. Uh, he's coming up uh, next year. You'll get a chance to hear him. He's speaking at Harriet Watt, by the way. But anyway, John Lennox replied to him. He said, um, 
I'll answer your question if you will answer my question. What is consciousness? And the scientist said, well, we don't know. Oh. He said, okay, well, let me ask you a simpler question. You're a physicist. What is energy? And the physicist said, well, we know lots of things about energy. We can, uh, we can measure it. We can use it. We can convert it. And John interrupted him and said, well, yes, but, but what is energy? And the physicist had to say, we don't know. Then you agree, said John, uh, with uh, Richard Feynman, the Nobel laureate physicist of Princeton, who says we don't know what energy is. Now, you don't know what these things are. Should I write you off as a physicist? Because you believe them to be true. And he said, well, I hope not. And John said, well, I hope you'll not write me off for my belief that Jesus is both God and man. He said, but let me tell you why you believe in consciousness and why you believe in energy. It is because of the explanatory power that they have to describe the reality of what we see in the world today. He said, and that is exactly the same with my faith that Jesus is both God and man. He said, now that is a mystery that I cannot really fully understand or comprehend. But it is the only thing that makes sense of the life of Jesus. To look at his life, to look at his teaching, to look at his miracles, to look at his resurrection from the dead. It is the only way that it makes any sense that Jesus is both God and man. So if you're here as a skeptic, I would say to you, don't write this off. Take a look at the life of Jesus. I'm glad that we've got the Glad You Asked course coming up next year. It's a great opportunity. If you've got questions, it's, it's going to try and answer some of the questions people have as they come and consider Christianity. Why don't you consider signing up for that? But you know what? That Jesus is both fully God and fully man changes everything about life. You've got a room full of people here today whose lives are being changed by this reality. And it was true for Mary and Joseph, the modern-day Mary and Joseph that I met six years ago. Uh, As they came in for counseling, what they had to realize was that the main thing to sort out was not so much the problems in their marriage, but it was the bigger issue of working out who Jesus was and whether Christianity was true or not. The big issue for them to grasp was, was that, were they going to build their lives on Emmanuel, God with us? That God had made himself known by taking on human flesh. That God had come in Jesus to be able to save them from their sins that were ripping their marriage apart. That his death upon the cross was the basis that they both could receive and give forgiveness. That by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God would come by His Spirit into their lives and give them power to live different lives so they could rebuild their marriage. That God could rebuild affection and love in a marriage that was so full of pain and hurt. And do you know what? That's what they did. They became Christians that, that year. And their marriage began to turn around. They were a military family. They had to head off within about six months of that. And we didn't hear too much for many years. But they got in touch last year to say that they were living in North Carolina. That their marriage was strong and joyful. And that they were getting stuck into a church there in North Carolina. My friends, this is the difference. When we grasp that Jesus is Emmanuel. 
God with us. And if you're here today and you've got fears and anxieties as you approach Christmas, can I say to you, what are you going to do this Christmas? What are you trusting in in this time of anxiety and fear? What's going to get you through life? Do you know, we have God's word. We don't need another sign from God. We've had the biggest sign. God took on human flesh. Uh, anything, any other miracle or sign you'd ask for would be rather pitiful compared to that, don't you think? And the question is, are you going to believe God? Are you going to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, the one who saves us from our sins, the one who is God with us? Let's pray.